Stories from the past to present. This is the history of Ducks hockey. Let's turn the pages back and relive from mighty till now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of From Mighty Till Now, one of the uh, faces of the Mighty Ducks back in the day. Uh, Stu Grimson joining us now from uh, from the East Coast, doing a little Zoom with Stu. And Stu, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Uh, good to have you on the program. And, and a From Mighty Till Now podcast would not be complete without Stu Grimson on it. So uh, glad to have you here, man. Well, thanks. It's uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, of course, the the Mighty Ducks always hold a, a very dear, a very special place in my heart. It's probably, you know, the one stop in my NHL career where I was, you know, I was a member of the organization the longest. Actually had two stints, started out yeah. with the original franchise and then uh, was there for the better part of two years and circled back a little bit later in the late 90s where... Uh, where, where, you know, we had some, we had some pretty good teams too. qualified for the playoffs one year back in the Tamo Paul days. We had, <laughs> yes. uh, we had a pretty good run. That's so great. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, one thing I want to start with you too, is, um, I know that you got a book and, and, uh, uh, this is a lot of stuff that's well documented, but, um, do you remember, or do you have a chance to remember your first fight on the ice? Do you, can you remember that as a member of the ducks? No. Just first fight, period. Oh, oh! I'm going way. Yeah, I'm going the sure way back machine here, Stu. Yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, a lot of blows to the head in between then and now, but I still recall it very clearly. Um, I was playing my first year major junior hockey. Um, I probably I was with the Regina Pats of the WHL. We were on the road in Winnipeg, and we were getting our lunch handed to us. So you know, of course. Uh, a number of us. It was a, a different era for hockey, but you know anything you could do to kind of leave a message with the other team and boost your stock in the coach's sure. eyes. Uh, I got into a scrape with a, uh, a seasoned NHL guy. He was he wasn't nearly as big as I was. Uh, Guy Parody might have been six foot six foot one, two hundred and change, but um, you know he clearly had been in more fights than I had. Um, he clipped me a couple of times. It was, you know, it, he sure got the better of me. Um, but I, I came away from that going, wow, this whole, uh, this whole fighting on ice thing. It's uh it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a, it's a skill to acquire. It's something you need to learn by doing. Um, and it, uh, it kind of got my attention right then and there. And so I have to ask you, there's some, uh, Stu Grimson lore I was reading about. Let me know if this is true. So you said the Regina Pats, um, there's a story of you. I think it was a senior in high school. You and a group of guys are out. You get approached by some guys that are about seven years older than you, get into a scrap. And I think it was a GM of the Pats came by and said, wait, I think that's that Grimson kid. He's pretty tough. I think we need him on our team. Yeah. You know, believe it or not, that was my uh, road to major junior hockey. That's how I got noticed. Living, um, I was, I think I was like 10th, 11th grade. Uh, some buddies uh, and uh, and me were walking down Main Street of Kamloops, British Columbia. That was my hometown. And we were headed towards the movie theater. The movie theater was a couple blocks away. And on the other side of the street, kind of walking in tandem or at the same time as us, we used to get a lot of folks that came in from the drill rigs. They were hard, crusty guys, you know, single guys. We used to call them rig pigs. They would come into town. They, you know, drink their faces off all weekend long, blow everything they'd made the week before. But they generally just looking for trouble all, all weekend long. So some of these rig pigs are walking down the street. 
we come to the same corner of the street right in front of the Kamloops movie theater. And um, my buddies and I were all wearing our, our high school football jackets, uh, Sahali. That's yeah. the name of our high school. It's at Sahali across the okay. back. And one of these guys starts popping off. He starts going, Sahali sucks onions, man. Sahali <laughs> sucks onions. So I was kind of standing at the back of my uh, little group of buddies and I, parted the shoulders of two of these guys. I waded into the middle and I just cold cocked this guy right in the face, popped two teeth out of his face. And it was on, he comes back. We start, we start fighting. I mean, I'm sure these guys were in their mid twenties. We were just like teenagers at the time, but unbeknownst to me, to your point, the head scout of the Regina Pats who happened to make Kamloops, my hometown, his hometown, he's driving by the, the, the movie theater at that point. He takes a look out his window. He goes, wait a minute, that's that's the Grimson boy. I've seen him around the rink. That's somebody we ought to list. That's somebody we got to get on our protected list. So, you know, long story short, I'm a Regina Pat thereafter. Three years of major junior with the Regina Pats. That was, you know, kind of the the foundation, the building block for me to go on and and ultimately enjoy a pro career. But uh, strange, but true. That's the path. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Uh, timing is everything, right, Stu? Um, Correct. Correct. Uh, the Grim Reaper, when did that first uh, kind of unveil itself as, as your your moniker? Yeah, you know, that kind of came up around the same time my rookie year with the Regina Pats. Uh, my uh, general manager at the time, my rookie year, was a guy by the name of Bob Strum. He managed the Regina Pats. He would later... Um, coach us as well as manage the team. But I, I think it was because, you know, I'm big. Of course, the first syllable of my last name is Grim. Um, and I, I think, you know, in all honesty and candor, you know, I, I think early on he said, I really, he's thinking to himself, I really hope this kid plays a, a physical role for us. We've seen him, you know, he looks like he's pretty scrappy, but we really need to, you know, we need that from him. We need him to play that role. So I think he kind of tabbed me with that moniker for all those reasons. And I was the Grim Reaper through, you know, my three years of junior. It didn't get a whole lot of play. Yeah. Not until I got to Chicago. And of course, I was, you know, one part of the on on one team. And we used to call it the Chuck Norris division. It was a really <sighs> tough division. That is fantastic. And I mean, I. Yeah, I'm locking horns with guys like Bob Probert and Joe Kosher and wow. Basil McRae and Tony Twist and, and all these guys. But it wasn't really until I got to Chicago and I really established myself in that heavyweight enforcer role as a member of the Blackhawks. That's where I really became, you know, that's that's where the, the nickname really took hold. And, you know, from there on after, I you know, it's it's been the it's been the Grim Reaper. All right, Stu. So, uh, you know, you start uh, in hockey, this, the, the tough side, the enforcer, all these things are starting to develop and take on its own identity as, as we're kind of talking about. And then all of a sudden here comes the expansion draft for the NHL. You're just trying to get your footing in the league um, as still a young guy. And, and all of a sudden you, you get chosen by the mighty ducks of Anaheim from Disney. What in the world is going through your mind? <laughs> can, I, can I tell you, we're all, I mean, I remember I was a Chicago Blackhawk before I got drafted by the Ducks in 93, summer of 93. And honestly, like going back to maybe 
January, February of the 92-93 season when I'm a member of the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, I can remember the announcement came out, hey, Disney's bought a new franchise. Oh, lo and behold, they're going to name the franchise after the movie. It's going to be the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. And I'm like, I can't believe the league is going to let them do that. I can't believe they're actually going to take on this Mighty Ducks uh, nickname for the franchise. Like, what? wouldn't it be crazy to play for the Mighty Ducks? Well, fast forward about six months. Guess who gets? Guess who ends up being the seventh round pick <laughs> in the expansion draft? So I, I decided I was going to have a little fun with it. And shortly after I got to, to Anaheim, I was like, can we come up with a, maybe a euphemism for Mighty Ducks? How about muscular waterfowl or something <laughs> like that? So, you know, we, we had some fun with it, but um, it, it really was. I, I, I Just as an aside, I can't tell you, you know, for me and for a lot of guys like me, you know, you're a collection of third and fourth line NHLers taken from all over the league as part of the, the expansion draft, the first Mighty Ducks team. It was so fun to be part of something new. It was a new opportunity for us, a new chance to, to take on more responsibility. Ron Wilson gave me a lot of that responsibility, our coach back then. And I tell you, Disney just treated us so well. For me and my family, um, and, and this is part of why, you know, I've mentioned to you before, the Ducks will always hold a really a yeah. close, dear place in my heart. We were just treated so well and had such a fabulous experience. Uh, the fans of Southern California couldn't have been better to us, couldn't have treated us uh, more kind. It was just a wonderful, wonderful time. I, you know, and I hear that from everybody and great to hear you say that. And, and I, I mean, granted, you're wearing shorts to the rink and flip flops and I mean, stuff that's never happened before. But please tell me, take me to that first night, opening night against Detroit at the pond back in the day. What's going through the players minds is you're in the dressing room and out on the ice is the ice man. You got teacups on the TV. You got Tinkerbell, you know, with the goal thing. I mean, what? Can you can you guys realize what's transpiring? The entertainment that's going on, you know, on the ice yeah. before you take to uh, before you go out in front of the crowd. Yeah, I think I think game one really um, it informed a lot of what we were in for. You know, for lack of a better way to describe it, of course, you know, we had training camp leading up to that. Training camp comes with exhibition games, and we began to get a sense of wow, Disney's really taking. Um, you know, a, a vested um, interest in the way that this, the game is going to be marketed, uh, you know, through this franchise. And I, I think we were always, you know, all not taken aback, but just really um, intrigued by that. And then when it comes to opening night, you know, that's when it's kind of full regalia. It's all on, you know, you got Wild Wing coming from the rafters, you got you know, the Zamboni comes and pours them out onto the ice. Uh, it, it was just like, you know, we were seeing things that we'd never seen before. So I, I, I think we were all really um, excited and, um, you know, overwhelmed by it because none of us had ever seen the game marketed quite that way. Um, it was a lot of fun. You know, we were competitive that year. Gosh, I think we, it, it holds it held up until at least Vegas yep. uh, exploded the the prior number. But uh, to that point, we tied the record for most wins by an expansion franchise that year. So we were pretty competitive. We loved that the fans were enthused by us. You know, the Southern California fans, they didn't grow up with the game, 
but gosh, they really enjoyed the goals, the big saves and, you know, and the fights, of course, that was pretty easy to understand. Um, but it was, uh, it was a really cool time. And it was just, it was fun to see, you know, the fingerprints of Disney all over the way this club was marketed. All right, Stu, you gave me a great segue there. So you, you're going, you got Disney, you got the crest of this duck. Obviously, players like to chirp. You know, you're you're the enforcer on the team. You got some big boys, too. How tough did you have to be that first year playing around the league and probably getting it from everybody? Yeah. Well, you know, the funny part about it is um, I, I don't think we really took a lot of ribbing from from other organizations about uh, about the the nickname, about our, our team name, our mascot. Um you know, just because I think, you know, for, for one, as I said earlier, I think we were pretty competitive. We established, a, you know, I think a good bit of credibility. We sure weren't going to be the kind of team that, you know, you, you'd kind of run roughshod all over us. We were in every game that we played. Yeah. And, and part of the other point, you know, as I understand it, when at the expansion draft, Jack Farrar was our general manager back then. Very early on in the draft, I mean, for somebody like me to go seventh um, in the expansion draft, I think Todd Ewan went shortly after that, or Todd may have been acquired by um, a trade. I cannot, I can't recall going back that far. But as I, as it's been communicated to me, there was a bit of a, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a bit of a tremor goes through the the draft room among the general managers as they're taking myself and Todd early on in this draft, because it became very clear, wow, like nobody's got two heavyweight enforcers on their team. It's pretty clear Anaheim's making a statement here. They're going to be, you know, they're going to provide the physical protection uh, for these players. And, uh, you know, that was that was a fairly bold message. And I, and I think it helped add to, you know, the identity that we really tried to forge, which I think holds up today. Um, we were going to be a hardworking, gritty team that, you know, you, if you're going to take two points from us, you really had to earn it. Paul Correa um, had the forward on your book. And when Korea came to town, um, you know, back in the, the enforcer really is not around anymore, as you know, more than anyone. But what yeah. was it like when Paul came in and he was kind of where well, you can tell me your responsibility to keep an eye on? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was exciting for us. It really was. Um, you know, again, up to that point, we'd pretty much been a collection of third, fourth line guys from yep. around the league. We didn't have a bona fide star, so to speak. Um, so when Paul came, it was a little bit, you know, anytime just take the trade deadline, for example. Anytime your club goes out and acquires somebody really impactful that's going to add to your ability to be more successful that creates a, a real shockwave of excitement through the locker room. Paul, uh, after he was drafted and as he became a member of the, of the roster of the organization, he had that same kind of effect on us. You know, we, we thought Paul would, and he did, of course, really add to uh, a good thing that we had going at that time. So, of course, for guys like me and Todd, uh, we took our we took our responsibility very seriously. I, an important part of that role at that time was to make sure that your smaller players, your skilled players, had the the space mm -hmm. and really the accountability on the other side. 
to to do what they did best. Um, so I, I I like to think that you know we provided that for Paul. We provided the environment. Paul gets a kick out of this when I say it, and he actually made reference to it at his retirement um, ceremony. Uh, we created a safe working environment. For Paul <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. That's, that's a euphemism for we used to knock the heads of the other guys we played against. Oh, that's um, good. But Paul, you know, and, and just a quick aside about Paul, he was so generous, so gracious, and so well spoken slash written to write the foreword of my book. It's funny, I just I went back and read it the other day, and I hadn't read it in quite a while. It, just a really thoughtful piece of prose. I really appreciate Paul. But really, you know, we hadn't seen anything like him. He was he was incredibly dynamic just in the terms of the way he played the game. And I'll tell you what. As much as anything, for a young guy stepping into an NHL locker room for the first time, we saw the preparation that went into his game. And I'll tell you, it got the attention of a lot of veteran NHLers like me. This kid is invested. This kid means business. And, you know, it, you, you can't overstate the the impact that a Paul Correa has had on the organization we're discussing here in this podcast. Stu, you have a unique perspective because at the beginning of this interview, you mentioned that you not only were there at the very beginning, but then after about a six-year stint, you came back to the organization. Um, and I would love to hear how the organization changed in that amount of time. And you mentioned all of a sudden you had the dynamic duo. Now you had the Flash and you had Paul Correa. Um, but what was it like coming back and seeing how this 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 team, this organization had grown since you left? Yeah. You know, I, I think the best way to 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 describe the distinction between those two moments, segments I had with the roster, again, the first couple of years right after the expansion draft, and then towards the uh, back half of the 90s after the club had been around for four or five years, you know, they went from kind of survival, just be um, just be credible, just be just be a hard out. I mean, that was kind of the expectation at that point, but then a short while later, and certainly, you know, Paul uh, and Tamo had, you know, a lot, not everything, but a lot to do with this. Um, you know, that team went from the expectations are make the playoffs. And, yeah. you know, once you make the playoffs in the NHL, you can, you know, depending on the way you're built, depending on, you know, how, how the, the postseason unravels, you know, the world's your oyster. You, you could do a lot of things. So, the expectation very quickly became, you know, this club is is built in such a way that we can be competitive. And, you know, I'll, I'll recall going into um, a first round series with the Detroit Red Wings in my second tour. Um, we we had designs. We had every intention. Uh, we felt we could uh, upset this Red Wings team. It obviously went the other way on us. Um, but again, we were uh, we weren't an easy out. Before I let you go, I got two more questions for you. I have to ask you the pirate ship photo. Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates I can't, I Caribbean. cannot let you leave without asking you. I, Gibo and I talk about it a lot. We had Terry Aiken here the other day talking about it. I needed your perspective about getting on, putting on a pirate outfit and getting on that boat. We all had so much fun with that. Um, I can't tell you. My parents actually, my parents uh, still make their home in British Columbia, Southern British Columbia back home. They've still got that thing oh, up God. in their garage. I see it every time That's I go good. back and visit them. We had so much fun with all that. That was, 
I don't know if you recall, but that was back in an era where a lot of teams, and maybe this is still true today, but just as part of the marketing, um, they would put their players in these different situations. You might see a group of guys from an NHL club. They're all tricked out in you know black leather on a bunch of Harley Davidsons yeah. um, for different you know for different marketing purposes. I, I thought it was the just the greatest thing, and I'll tell you. The, the thing, and I think this is kind of where the light went on for a lot of us in terms of the kind of person, the kind of coach that Ron Wilson was, nobody was more excited for this promo than Ron Wilson. Like, I mean, he was a kid at a candy store picking out his outfit before we ended up going on the Pirates of Caribbean. Oh, and everybody, good. of course, is jockeying for, oh, I want to be hanging off the rope ladder. I want to be by the cannon. I want to be, you know, it was just, we had so much fun with it. And then, of course, the guys were all just leaning in, waiting for the first images to kind of of this, you know, this big poster yeah. to appear. And we were all just tickled. You know, we all left the rink, I'm sure, with, you know, a couple of dozen of these posters the day that uh, they ultimately came out. It was it's a wonderful memory. And I love that it's still around today. It was just such a, a great way to to commemorate those, you know, those early moments. All right, Stu, before I let you go, I, I have one for you. And this is kind of a, a personal question because I just played this for my daughter yesterday. Uh, she turned six next month. And uh, when I say the foundation for a better life. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, that, I, it just, I go, I know that Stu is in this commercial that was one of the best commercials I remember. And that was at the end of your career. And it really put yeah. this, you know, this tough guy has a soft side. You know, it was an yeah. incredible commercial for you to sing Itsy Bitsy Spider <laughs> to over the right. phone in the it's locker right. room. I mean, that was fantastic. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, I remember it very well. In fact, uh, I'm doing a bit with ESPN and they've asked me to kind of forward them some of the marketing, you know, um, uh, uh, productions I've been in over the past. I actually just looked at it. I think it was earlier today or yesterday and I sent the link to it onto the folks at ESPN. But you know, it, it was it was such a wonderful opportunity. Um, Ducks fans will be uh, remorse or or uh, saddened to hear that um, this all took place while I was a member of the L.A. Kings for one year. I played. For the <laughs> oh, Kings. I, I remember but the Phil color of the jersey in that commercial. <laughs> right. Philip Anschutz is the owner of the Kings at the time. And Philip Anschutz had a not-for-profit organization called Foundation for Better Living. I think right now they operate under PassItOn.org. You can actually see their billboards are all over the United States, just emphasizing these positive, um, you know, kind of holistic messages. But they asked me to be a part of this series of television commercials they've done. They're, they've done, they're like, you know, minute-long, sometimes 90-second commercials. Uh, but we shot it all one day. Of course, when the owner asks you to be part of his not-for-profit commercial, you know the answer to that is always yes, sir. <laughs> um, but we shot it all in one day in the King's locker room. Had so much fun with it, and it still holds up today. To your point, um, it's a sore spot in my household even to this day because the, the the young girl who is you know purported to be my daughter in this. Uh, commercial is not actually my. I was going to ask my, you if it was. <laughs> my two oldest girls were always a little sensitive about that. Hey, I could have said that line, <laughs> but um, you know the funny part about it is I get I get folks all the time telling, "Hey, I was walking through the airport and then they had MSNBC on and they flashed your commercial, or I was sitting in Regal Cinemas and the um, you know the the pre movie 
entertainment happen to be I remember you know, that pass it on dot org. Mm-hmm. So it it's still around today. It still gets a lot of play. It was so much fun. They're all so very well done. It was just an honor to be a part of it. Well, Stu, it's been an honor to have you here as part of, uh, you know, Ducks Unfiltered, not Ducks Unfiltered. I get the, my producer, Joey's looking at me going, what are you talking about? Uh, from Mighty Till Now. <laughs> Sorry, we'll fix it in edit. From we'll Mighty Till edit. Now. Now, you know, this is like live. We like live stuff. Uh, but hey, you know, but just uh, such a pleasure to talk to you. All the best with the NHL Network and everything you're doing there. And um I know you were on The Simpsons. Hey, keep that up, man. I mean, you got it all going on. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. These opportunities kind of come to you out of nowhere. There's so much fun to be a part of. All right, Stu. We'll uh, keep up the good work, and hopefully we'll have you again very, very soon. Sounds great. It's been my pleasure. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duck Stream.